Today on Ag News Daily. We can take that same platform and utilize drone deploy software, put the drone in the air, have a biological path back and forth, and take a picture every two to three seconds. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by our intern, Madison Honkamp. Madison, I tell you what, I was in Arizona this past weekend and blew in yesterday. Didn't get home, unfortunately, until 2 a.m. this morning because of weather delays. Oh, my goodness. Were there, was it because of the storms? Yes, the snow, and then it was really odd. I've never had this happen before, but we were up in the air. We were, like, maybe 15 minutes from Des Moines, and the pilot comes on and says, Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to circle around for a little while. They're clearing off the runway to get ready for us to land. And it's like, didn't you know we were coming? Like, couldn't you have cleared the runway a while ago for us? Oh, my gosh. Well, I know <laughs> that it was coming down kind of hard yesterday. Yeah, it was. Evening. It was. Uh, I guess I don't know at 2 a.m. if it was. Yeah. Well, we landed at 1230 and it just mm-hmm. took that long to get bags and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah. it was a it was a little bit of a shock being in the nice Arizona dry desert weather, and then coming home and there's snow everywhere. Oh, definitely polar opposites. Yes, not my favorite. But uh, I'm back. I'm here. I'm ready to do the podcast today. How how was class for you today? I know you get to walk around Iowa State campus, and I'm sure you see uh, snow everywhere. Do they have at least like? streets or sidewalks cleared for you guys not this morning for my class that I have at 9 30 it the sidewalks were completely covered I I'm glad I wore my snow boots because (laughs) they were they were also slick so it made it even Mm -hmm. worse oh yeah I always love it when you uh used to walk around campus and you'd see kids just biff it down the sidewalk sorry that's not very nice but I thought it was hilarious (laughs) no it well, it's happened to me a couple times. Like, oh, I'll yeah. step on the bus and I'll hit the curb just the wrong way. Oh, yeah. And completely fall on my butt. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I've been there, too. Been there, too. Madison, what uh, what's jumping out at you today for news? I know we've got quite a bit on the wires, actually. Well, I saw a lot about for the shutdown that mm-hmm. is, so if they don't come to a conclusion, will continue again on the 15th. Um, but the Congress did give Trump a budget and it did say that it was a little bit less than he was expecting for the mm-hmm. wall. It was $1.37 billion instead of the $5.7 billion that he wanted. Um, but he did say he needs to kind of look it over. He isn't happy about it, but I have a feeling that he does not want to go back into a government shutdown. Yeah. yeah. I hope that this $1.37 billion will be enough for him to say, okay, Congress obviously worked together to get something in place. It's not what he wanted, but yeah, it's not ideal to go back into a government shutdown. Um, I know that this deal includes spending for USDA, FDA, the Interior Department, EPA, mm-hmm. and a couple of other pending spending bills, but it doesn't include the disaster aid relief package that I know Congress had tried to push through earlier this month. So yeah, I think the way it sounds to me is it just has to go to President Trump and he has to sign off on it and then we're back in business. 
Yep, and it isn't going to be, I did read that it's not going to be the more cement wall that they were talking mm-hmm. very early on talking about. It's okay. just going to be more of a steel fence along the border. Ah, yep, I think that sounds right, too. I don't think there's enough funding to do the big, huge, whatever planned wall Trump oh, had in mind. Definitely not. Um, and then also in this report, I believe they did also say that some of that funding will go to the ICE detention facilities. Yes, I think that's right. And I read too somewhere, um, it takes away some of the, so ICE or the, what would it stand for? International, mm, I can't remember off the top of my head. Basically the people that look for illegal immigrants and make sure that they're not here illegally, have green cards, etc. It also puts a cap on detention beds so I think yes. that means uh, it limits the number of folks that get held here, from my understanding. Yes, I kind of what I kind of view it as is they'll keep them in the like detention center, whatever it, they would like to call it, for less periods of time. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I think that sounds that's, right. That's my understanding. I'm not sure if that's correct. Well, listeners, uh, if you understand this better than Madison and I, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and explain it through to us a little better if you got if you got better ideas. Yes, please do. Well, we also saw today that the Senate is expected to pass a public lands bill that would permanently issue and authorize the Land and Water Conservation Fund to um, essentially use oil and gas royalties to acquire lands for conservation and recreation like national forests, national parks, and cattle and sheep producers are very upset by this, saying this should be a sunset clause or something that's not permanently authorized because it's going to or could potentially um, change some ground that should be used for farm ground into conservation or recreation ground. And uh, both the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the American Sheep Industry issued statements saying they believe, again, it should not be a permanent clause and that it was irresponsible for Congress to relinquish its oversight authority and give a blank check to the federal agencies for the purposes of land acquisition. So we don't know that that's going to get passed for sure, but it's expected to get passed in the Senate, I think, sometime here over the next week or two. That's interesting, too, because I know we were talking about this in my animal science class. They actually used to have, you know, conservation land, but they would have sheep and goats and cattle graze on it. Right. So I kind of wonder if they'll kind of probably won't, but to kind of implement that again. Hmm, That's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Then kind of moving on. Um, I saw this article earlier today, um, and OPEC is kind of giving their reports on oil, um, and they saw cuts fell about 800,000 barrels per day in January. So that's 800,000 barrels per day less than what they have done in the past, and then even um, even with slightly more demand, but they do believe that this will kind of help support the global economy just because there won't be so much 
supply, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more demand. And then also um, they did report that this is kind of the opposite of what Trump wanted in 2018 with lowering prices. This could cause the price to kind of go up a little bit more because Iran, Libya, and Venezuela are all kind of seeing cuts as well for barrels per day. Yeah, it's interesting too um, when you look at really what the oil market has been doing. um, It's been, you know, kind of at the end or where a lot of analysts thought it was kind of at the bottom now, but with these new cuts released and showing that January was definitely a down month, might continue to see oil head down into more of a bottom. Yes. Yeah. And then they did also um, say in this article that they they believe that the global market will see a surplus of about 200,000 barrels per day in 2019 if they keep pumping oil at the rate they are. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so I thought that was very interesting. So they're trying to make cuts, but it, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure, so. Yeah, well, we will definitely continue to watch that. And speaking of, um, the oil industry, I've got some news today about the ethanol industry, kind of a couple of pieces related to fuel in general. The first one here is that a new analysis done by the University of Illinois economist, Scott Irwin, who we've had on the podcast before, he said that the increased ethanol supply was the biggest factor that has kept ethanol prices low in 2018, not the small refinery waivers provided by the EPA. He didn't uh, fi- he didn't find any evidence that prices for renewable fuel standards compliance credits were driving ethanol prices lower in 2018 and said instead it looks like we just have too much supply, not enough demand, and the domestic market and export markets really have tried to absorb that extra ethanol but didn't do so well. And that's why we saw the uh, the prices basically for ethanol back off here quite a bit. And then the other piece of ethanol-related news I had for today was a new life lawsuit has been filed by the National Wildlife Federation that basically they said the EPA failed to consult with them before expanding biofuel production under the renewable fuel standard. And their uh, vice president for land stewardship said, quote, ensure the, that the lawsuit, quote, intends to ensure the EPA follows the law and abides by provisions to protect wildlife habitat and our natural resources. And essentially, they said it's decimated millions of acres of native grasslands, drained important prairie potholes that uh, nurture waterfowl, added to nutrient pollution that fuels the massive dead zone in the Gulf Coast. And they asked uh, that the EPA considers this impacts to species and native species and waives the increase in volume standard to minimize environmental harm. I doubt that they're going to do that, but that is a new piece of news that came out just today. Hmm. That'll be kind of interesting how that ends up playing out. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. And then to kind of go along, um, for corn this year, um, 
they say that the corn seed is supposed to have higher or better yields and it's supposed to be better quality this year. And even um, a lot of hybrid companies are reporting over over 95% germination um, in corn. And because typically the 95% is actually just kind of the highest it's been, but this year they're saying it's even over for some hybrids. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Hmm. Well, I guess that's good and bad because we saw the WASI report come out Friday. We know now corn to stocks and corn race, corn usage ratios are going to be lower. So we definitely might be in a place where we're going to need more corn and higher yields this year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I just kind of thought it was funny. The opening line for this article was, while soybean seed quality is struggling, corn is a beacon of hope for farmers across the U.S. There you go. So maybe we'll see improvement in that, but only time will tell. Only time will tell. And speaking of uh, of grain commodities, got one other piece of news here. When we look at wheat production, so we've seen lower prices, falling transportation costs, a lower U.S. dollar. This has been helping U.S. farmers regain market share in Egypt and Nigeria, two of the largest importing countries in the world for U.S. wheat. According to the U.S. Wheat Associate spokesman Steve Mercer, USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service on Monday announced an export sale of 128,000 metric tons of hard red winter wheat to Nigeria and 120,000 tons of soft red winter wheat to Egypt for the 2018-19 marketing year. So that's very exciting news that we are seeing some new markets continue to expand and open up. Yes, that's very good that they are kind of expanding. There's more diversity, you could say, in the markets, I guess. Yep, absolutely. Well, speaking of markets, Madison, did you have any other news for today or should we hop over and look at where the commodity markets left us? Let's hop over to the markets, Delaney. All right. Well, our markets are sponsored by the folks over at the Zayner Group. We had Brian Grossman on yesterday for Market Monday, so I encourage you all to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't heard it yet, or you can give any one of them a call if you have specific questions at 312-277-0050. Looking across the grains today, exciting rallies in the soybean markets. It looks like they really gave back most of what they gave up yesterday, but let's start in the corn pits. The March corn contract up five and a half cents on the day at 378 and a quarter, while the May up five and a half cents as well to end at 386 and a quarter. The soybean pits were the main player for today's markets, likely pulling the other grains up with it. The March soybean contract up 12 and a half cents to close at 917 and a half, while the May up 12 and a half as well to close at 931 and three quarters. Looking in the wheat pits, the March contract up a penny and three quarters at 520 even, while the May up a penny and a quarter to close at 521 and three quarters. Looking over into the livestock pits for today, lots of red on the screen. The February live cattle contract gave up a dollar to close at 126.82 and a half, while the April closed down 42 and a half cents to close at 127.87 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract cut 27 and a half cents to close at 144.40, while the April cut just two pennies on the day to end at 146.65. 
Lean hogs, the February front month contract unchanged on the day at 55.17, while the April up a dollar 25 to close at 60.32 and a half and rounding out our markets with the dairy class three milk futures. February contract up two cents to close at 14.01, while the March up 14 cents to close at 14.83. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, We've got Adam Gittens joining Mike during the Iowa Power and Farming show a couple of weeks ago from HTS Ag. Well, here at the Iowa Power Farming show, I'm talking to you, Adam Gittens, who is the general manager for HTS Ag. And Adam, we're standing at your booth, or at least a segment of your booth. You've got some very cool toys sitting out here. Can you tell me a little bit about what we're looking at with this thermal imaging camera? You bet, Mike. It's sure a lot of fun to look at all of the different technologies that are out there. Drones, of course, are something we've spent a fair bit of time focusing on to understand what the industry can offer for agriculture. And I call them toys, but these aren't toys. Sure. So they can be. Uh, We've got some that start at a pretty reasonable price point, and, and it's a good learning opportunity to understand how to fly at a very inexpensive point, but uh, the ones you're talking about are a little more expensive, and we like to refer to them as tools, not toys. That being said, uh, they are a lot of fun. So we're looking here at a uh, unique H520. It's got a thermal camera hanging under it, and the ST16 controller with a built-in Android tablet on the controller itself, a 7-inch screen. Yeah, just to put this into perspective, because, you know, it's obviously, it's listeners, we're not looking at a picture of this. This thing is, what, 13 inches across and 6 inches deep, 8 inches deep? Yeah, something to that effect. It's a it's a very large controller, but this is a hexacopter. Um, we've got really great flight time out of this aircraft, somewhere to the tune of 30 minutes. We've got the ability to fly in some ridiculously high winds. We actually had this aircraft up over a combine last fall in 55-mile-an-hour wind gusts which would be unheard of with any of these quadcopters. But being a hexacopter, it's a much more stable platform when you get into that high wind situation. So we found some really good utility out of it for that purpose. And uh, the thing that's really got our interest peaked is the ability to use a thermal camera, not only to spot livestock or for search and rescue, fire departments, those types of things, but we're really trying to understand, can we figure out a heat signature, a temperature signature over crops to understand crop health from that? And so that's something we'll be doing some investigating on going into the 2019 growing season. Now, has anybody done that kind of investigation? Do we know if if there is some science behind that concept? Well, there's certainly a lot of agronomists that will talk about uh, even uh, different hybrids being able to, to show different temperatures depending on what's going on with the crop. Um, I don't know that anyone has taken that to the next step and tried to do some drone imaging with it. Um, if, they, if they have done that, it's not anything I've stumbled across yet. So I'm going to go see if I can learn something new and share that with everybody else. Now, it's the imaging part that you guys have really spent a lot of time working on. You work with Drone Deploy. Can you talk a little bit about some of the the imaging software, the mapping software that kind of backs up these platforms? You bet. So really our bread and butter on the drone space right now is to take a a DJI drone, something that a lot of people are very familiar with. There's a, a lot of them out there. We can take that same platform and utilize Drone Deploy software, put the drone in the air, have it fly a logical path back and forth, and take a picture every two to three seconds upload them to the cloud, and stitch all of those together to get one high-resolution map of the entire field. So we get more than just one picture. This is now geo-referenced, so it is actually a map. It's not just an image. And we we can annotate on there, so we can actually draw lines. We can figure out area, distance, elevation, 
We can do 3D mapping. We can get a uh, crop health image off of that, just based off of greenness of the image. So there's some really cool things. I'll, uh, I'll show you a couple of those here, Mike. So we've got a 2D image there. This is actually my home farm uh, where we've got 474 images stitched together there of that quarter section of ground. And if we look at a plant health image of that, it takes and makes a, a false NDVI map off of that, just, just from the greenness of the image, because it's such a high-resolution image, we can actually understand how healthy that crop is based on that. And so this is something that the Drone Deploy software is doing in the background. It's not uh, it's not the camera itself that's mounted to the drone that's able to put this together. It's the software looking at the pictures. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So it's the software. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mike. And the, the value there is with a low-cost DJI drone platform, we can utilize this software and use the stock camera that's under there to get some really great information out of it. So it doesn't have to be a huge dollar investment like some of the commercial drones that we're looking at farther down in our booth here. You can do that with a, a really low investment point and really have a great understanding of your crop. The, the, the other really neat thing about that, because we know from a high level, uh, we have a lot of overlap of those images. So we know the elevation of the drone, and we can actually triangulate position to the ground with 474 images over top of that. I have a really, really accurate elevation map of that farm. We can even start laying out and understanding where where to put in tile or how to put in tile, surface drainage. You know, just by flying over that farm, we can get a really, really detailed map of the elevation. And it's, it's a relative accuracy. So... If I walk out to one single point in there, I can't say this is X feet of elevation above sea level, but I know from point A to point B in the field, I can be within a few inches of accuracy of each other. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, from the time I send the drone up, it captures those 470-some-odd images to me looking at this image on the computer. What's the time investment of that to get it done? Sure. So the flight itself for a field that size... We're probably stretching every bit of the limits of one battery, usually looking at two if you have a little bit of wind. So maybe a little over a half hour to do the flight. And depending on the speed of your internet, that's going to depend on how long the rest of it takes. So now we have to upload to the internet those 470-some-odd images, and then we're going to wait for their uh, cloud software to stitch all of that together, usually a few hours once the upload is complete, and we've got that image back to us. So it's still imagery that I can use to make some some quick agronomic decisions if I see something jumping out at me in the false NDVI picture. Absolutely, and even one step better than that, they have a, a slightly lower resolution version of this that happens in near real time as the drone is in flight. It's transmitting the data back to your iPad, and we can actually stitch on the screen in near real time and have a lower resolution version of this stitched image before the aircraft even lands. Jeez. This is incredible stuff, Adam. I love looking at drones. I think they're fascinating. I don't own one, but I want to. It's on my list. I just can't justify it. For somebody who is looking at that entry level, got some crop ground, you know, want to experiment with this, want to learn to fly, what should I be looking for in the drone platform itself? So I would encourage guys to start with a drone that's going to have some capability in moving forward, something that's going to be compatible with a a drone deploy type software. To get into that, you're looking at, uh, in the DJI family, we can do that with the Mavic. Uh, The Mavic Air, that starts around $700. The downside to that one is it's really not a fan of any kind of windy conditions. So our go-to platform would be like the Mavic 2 Pro. It's a little bit bigger platform. And that one's in that $1,450 range. Still a really affordable drone. 
uh, we can put a couple extra batteries with that in a hard case so we don't get it banged up and you're still in that uh, you know yeah. sub 2000 or around $2000 price point really affordable um, really really high quality drone that that's going to fly well and not have a problem with losing it out in the field or any kind of issues like that because it's got high accuracy GPS in it and with a, a short bit of training from HTSA, you'll have no problems getting that thing in the air. From the drone deploy software's perspective, is that a one-time purchase? Is that an ongoing software-as-a-service type of commitment? Yeah, so it is software-as-a-service. It's all in the cloud, so it's an annual subscription to that. And uh, they have different levels of subscriptions depending on what you want that to do for you. Okay. Fantastic. Adam, I always enjoy talking to you. And before I let you go, we, of course, like to focus on safety. We like to focus on grain quality. That is hugely important to everybody. Can you tell us a little bit about the OPI system or the OP system? I sure can, Mike. So, Do you call it OPI or is it OP? We call it OP. And, uh, you know, it's an acronym not a lot of people are familiar with, but this is some really great technology. Uh, the company is headquartered up in Calgary, Canada. They've been in business for over 30 years now, making temperature sensors for grain bins. Um, we've, for about 10 years now, had a moisture and temperature sensor on a cable hanging from the roof. About every four feet down that cable, we've got a sensor. We're able to read moisture and temperature of the grain. We understand what's happening in the grain bin, and then we actually tie that into a weather station we put on site and automate control of the fans. So we only run the fans when we need to, we see a 40 to 50% reduction in fan run times, and the entire bin, top to bottom, will get conditioned right to the, the target that we want it. So if you want 15% corn, we're not going to overdrive the bottom of the bin trying to get the top of it dried out. Because we have those sensors in there and because we have the weather station and we automate that, the computer does a way better job than you and I do as farmers trying to manage that. Absolutely. And looking at the setup here, it looks like it can be retrofit into almost any bin. It doesn't have to just be a new construction product. Absolutely correct. Uh, most any bin, we've got the ability to drop a cable in through the roof. Uh, there's some limitations there, but certainly give us a call if you've got questions. We'd be happy to talk through that with you. Well, Adam, if, if listeners want to talk either drones or bin monitoring, where should they get a hold of you? Well, you can give us a call at 800-741-3305. Find us on the web at htsag.com or check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram at htsag. Well, again, a big thank you to Adam Gittins there from HTS Ag. Interesting stuff there that they're doing, especially when you look at drones, thermal imaging, and grain bin monitoring systems. A lot of key pieces there for a lot of different producers. Yes, it's all very new stuff coming coming in to the industry, and I think it would be great for in the future. It will. Well, if folks, if you have an idea for a Tech Tuesday podcast interview or just somebody we should be having on the podcast to interview or grill or get their perspective on something, please shoot us a note on Facebook or on Twitter at Ag News Daily. Or you can find us at our new home, globalagnetwork.com, where you can check out our podcast as well as the other awesome podcasts that are part of that network. Madison, with that, should we let the folks go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.